0: Believe it or not, I want to let you in on a little secret here. Us therapists also, we are revisiting and even connecting to all the sides of ourselves in you and even the sides of us in the past all the time. And we are not so, hopefully many of us are not judgmental about those sides, even the sides that struggle or that, you know, had shame about this. I think the more that we actually work in this in this profession, it's like a great actor. See, great actors don't see dimensions as a problem. They see it as a wonderful thing. And I think some of the best, most effective therapists also are like, wow, you're really helping me see the Shakespearean beauty of what it is to be human. And we're sharing that together.
1: Hi, I'm Talia, and welcome to the Rebel Love Podcast. For each week, I'll bring you a new episode exploring love, sex, and relationships. Join me as together we question, explore, and strive to understand. Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Love Podcast. Today, my guest is Michael Elsie, a clinical psychologist in private practice in Tarrytown, New York, and a mental health educator at the Manhattan School of Music. Michael specializes in the psychology of artists and everyday creativity and the professional development of therapists. His contributions have appeared in the Chicago Tribune, the New York Times, and on the TEDx stage. His upcoming book is titled Therapeutic Improvisation. How to Start Winging It and Own It as a Therapist, and it will be out very soon. Hey, Michael. Welcome. Thanks so much for being here today.
0: Oh, great to be with you, Talia, as always.
1: Before we get started, I always like to hear um, a little bit about my guest's journey. So if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up a clinical psychologist.
0: Yeah, it's so funny because one of, one of my early memories is actually stumbling into the living room and my mother was talking to the stranger on the couch and I was trying to figure out like exactly what it was. And it turns out I stumbled onto a therapy session. My mom started her practice in the living room. And it was only later when I was like elementary school that she had an office on the side of the house. She turned our garage into an office. And I was used to seeing people come in and out and, and come out smiling and, and come out like looking lighter. And I always thought, oh, I, I guess they talk to my mom. And, and that was sort of my first introduction to therapy. And so for me, I had this wonderful kind of warm association that therapy is just talking to someone who loves you, it's uh, so talking to someone who really cares. And my mom was not only an amazing therapist, but just an amazing listener and someone who could really help you see different angles of things. And so I thought, wow, this is so cool. People come to talk. It's like natural as anything else.
1: Yeah. And We need support, right? It it makes so much sense to me when I, one of the questions I ask when I'm seeing anyone is, do do you go to therapy or are you open to therapy? (laughs) Because it just makes so much sense. Like, why wouldn't you go? I mean, I I do know that a reason some people don't go is because they can't afford it, um, which is kind of heartbreaking. But if that's not a barrier, why wouldn't you, right?
0: I mean, I think also our best conversations with our friends and our significant others and our family members are therapeutic. Right? And that's what I saw. I saw that my mom was probably the same that she was with me when my heart was broken in high school and she was talking me through, you know, or some other life struggle that I was going through and I thought, "Wow. This is what we do for each other. This is the human thing that we share." And I think therapy actually is no more than doing that in a way that's a little formalized.
1: Right. And and also as well um listening in a very specific way like I I find that um and I still do it but I I do try not to is offer unsolicited advice one thing that my friends and I do now is we go hey can I offer you some unsolicited advice (laughs) and then we like be careful right and then we have permission to say they have you know they have an option to say yes or no and you know most times people say yes, but then they don't like it.
0: But then they're like, wait, I wish I had said, I'm not sure.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah. Then what do you do from then? (laughs) So before we have these interviews, we always do a pre-call, which I love because I get to find out a little bit about you. And in that conversation, you mentioned, you know, people approaching therapy is having a problem to solve. Um, Yeah. and, And I think that's a really interesting take. I've never really heard anyone say that before. Can you elaborate a little bit on that?
0: I think you know most people come into the the door through the door of therapy because something's hurting there's some problem that they're looking for some help with they're confused they're lost they're why do I keep on dating the same kind of person even though I know they're not good for me or why is it that these things that I thought I got over still kind of happen in different variations and and why is it that I'm so confused about these different things? I thought I felt one way, but I also feel another. I think this, but I feel that. And a lot, so a lot of times people come initially because they're like, okay, help me with this pain, help me with this suffering, there's a problem. But what I think hopefully people find through the process of therapy is that it's about so much more. It, it's It's not just about problems. In fact, it's about, I think really about helping us see the full condition of being human and allowing us to expand our range um, with someone who can help us do that.
1: Mm. And you know, what's really interesting to me is that I, I dated a guy once and he, every time we we just have sex or, you know, at, often after you connect with someone physically, they, it opens this space to have deep conversations. And we'd have, I would attempt to have deep conversations and he'd get angry at me and say that you're ruining the moment. And I was, I was, I found that quite puzzling because I was like, huh, okay. To so me, you know, having these deep conversations is us getting closer. And when that happens, you shut down. And, and in my mind, I was like, what is that? Like, why, why is that? Why can I see this act of us having these deep conversations as one thing and you are seeing them as literally like poison, <laughs> poisoning. It's ironic, people.
0: isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and, and I just never got that and that kind of opened the door for me to understand how differently because I'd never come across that before. I had people that be like, look, I can't talk about it right now or I'm just not in the mood to talk about it, you know, but this was like full shutdown mode, aggressive shutdown mode and I and I just found that really puzzling. So, you know, this and uh, the reason why I bring that up is is to just demonstrate how confronting this can be for so many people talking, just talking really about anything that's, deep and important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For some people it's, it's hard to see strength and vulnerability and for others, they see it as the best way of actually developing more closeness. Right. So, um, you know, it's sort of, (laughs) it become a little bit of a cliche, but, you know, intimacy is really about really being able to, to know somebody it's no, no, um, It's not, it's, it's ironic that, you know, in the biblical sense, they said, having knowledge of somebody was having, having sex because it was also about more than that. And I think, you know, modern culture has sometimes disconnected those things. Almost times, even let's say in the hookup culture where it gets extraordinarily disconnected. And then people feel like, why do I have feelings? Even though I know this isn't serious. And yet in a lot of ways, we're really not built to, we, we can separate those things, but it's not really good for us. And so what you were doing in that moment, in that experience, which was lovely, is saying, I want to connect more fully by talking about what we just shared was really beautiful. And I want to kind of deepen that through talking about us.
1: Right. Our lives, what you want, you know. know? And it wasn't even to do with like us. It wasn't even like, it wasn't me asking, where's this going? Right. It's It's more
0: like, I just want to talk about, you,
1: yeah. Yeah, like I was asking things like, like, what do you see for your future? Like I'm interested. And it wasn't, do you see me in it? Because I wasn't in that headspace. And I just have, had never had that reaction before at that time. So it was, it was really baffling to me. And it really kind of helped me see how many people in the world are, are so different and that, you know, how can you possibly... Help yourself if you're not open to talking about it. And, and I know so many people do shut down. I'm not one of those people, so I, I find it difficult to relate. Um, but I understand now that those people exist. Um, and
0: you bring up something really important too that that we, remember I talked about this idea of range. We want to get close to not only one part of ourselves, but like it turns out we actually have multiple selves inside all of us that we forget about. Right. And remember how I talked about the fact that we have these problems. Often we have these problems because one part of ourselves feels this way I feel, you know, sad. But then one part of us feels, but I feel like shame, you know, or I feel anger, but then, you know, I feel something else. And so we have these often contradictory sides. And I think the more integrated we are, the more we're able to get close to those sides in us and to be curious about those sides in others.
1: Mm. Let's talk about integration. That's a really great word. How do yeah. we how do we do that? And how do we know when we're there?
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, we're all works in progress, but I think one of the ways that we know it is if we can be able to be with these different sides of ourselves more openly and comfortably with that same curiosity that you were giving to your partner in that moment. I'm just curious. I really want to get to know it. In other words, if we can have as much compassion and love and interest for our sadness as our anger, as our pride, as our joy, that's when we know we're integrated. And the more that we can also be open to, wait a minute, like that person seems angry, but I have a feeling that they're hurt underneath too. Let me see if I can get to know more about that as well. Mm. So the more that we work on it ourselves, the more that we're interested in open. And I have a four-year-old and a four-year-old son, and it's really interesting to watch. Like when a kid has like a like like is starting to have a tantrum, like sometimes you just want it to stop because it's really frustrating. But there's another part that I've found is wait, what am I missing? Right. Tell me totally. more about that side that I you just switched into that I didn't see coming.
1: Mm. Yeah. And I, I feel like with kids, it's sometimes so much easier to see because you're right. People do want children to stop, right? That's why we have pacifiers. We want people to, this it, it, it is really interesting because I was just looking after my friend's kids on the weekend and yeah. the mother was away and the father had to, to go away for three hours. And I said, I'd look after their children. And we were playing at a friend's house and the kids were having such a great time and they didn't want to leave, but we had to leave and I didn't feel comfortable Leaving somebody else's three children with this other person, so I took the kids, mm-hmm. and they were naturally sad about leaving. And the son, one of the sons, who's also around four, started crying, and um, we were going in the car to pick up the da- the dad, and said, "Oh, I just really miss mum." And he started crying, and and yeah. I was like, "Interesting, because I'm not sure that you miss mum. You just wanted to stay at the party at the at the friend's house." And, mm-hmm. and then that's what's coming up for you. And I said, yeah, she's coming back. You know, here's when she'll be back. And then he said something that I thought was really insightful. He goes, I'm just sad. And I thought, mm-hmm. that's cool. I love that you're just like, you're, I'm just sad. You're allowed to yeah. be sad. It's okay to be sad. And just the way he said it, I thought, wouldn't that be nice if adults could say that? Oh, I'm, I'm just sad. And that's okay. Yeah. Like, I know it's not forever.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a beautiful thing because I think we do lose touch with being able to own and really just stand in our feelings without feeling like they're childish mm. because they're childlike. And that's, we we never grow out of these childlike emotions, by the way. That's the great secret. We find more sophisticated ways of managing them or sometimes pretending that we don't have them, but they're there. And so how how refreshing is it for us to actually be with it, right?
1: And be I think favorite. that makes all the...
0: And be okay yeah. with it. Yeah. And then the more we do that with ourselves, the more that we can be more okay with others' emotions. Mm. And then what you know, what's interesting about therapy is it's not just helping people like figure out what's going on in their head or in their heart. It's also about providing a space, an ambiance where someone can sense, we sense kids' sense, just like adults sense, where is it really safe? To talk about this side versus that. And we all curate which side we talk about based on what we're picking up. And a lot of it's below the surface. We don't even, we implicitly can tell. We also don't grow out of that. And so what I think therapy does is what it should hopefully help us do in our everyday relationships is to, to gather more range and presence, a capacity to be more present for more of what we have and what they have
1: and being able to communicate that to someone as well like for example in that instance or in instances where children are sad like we were talking about before we try to fix it we try to stop it for our comfort we give them a pacifier we we bribe them we do all kinds of things and when you're an adult and someone's sad what do we do we try to fix it yes we try to fix it we try to tell be on their side or whatever it is but sometimes it's okay to be sad and it's yeah. interesting too because my friend um made a really huge mistake a couple of years ago. She fully owns it and she mm. she she's like I want to be really honest about it so she told some of our friends and they were like wow that's a <laughs> you know that was mm. a really big mistake and really bad behavior and she's like yeah it was and we don't need to make it better. We don't need right. to fix it and you know I don't need you to tell me that it was okay because it wasn't okay and you know and right. every everyone knows and I've kind of got complete with that but it doesn't nothing can fix it right yeah and you can still s- be my friend and i can still make a mistake
0: and in fact sometimes we forget how much we all need that more than we realize we 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 often don't take enough time to just be with ourselves mm. and dwell in our emotions not dwell on them but dwell in them and when we feel like somebody's not trying to fix us we allow it allows us to have contact with ourselves And the funny thing about emotions is that the more that we're actually in them, the more they actually come through us and we can sort of sort them through and process. So it actually ironically is really helpful. And this actually brings me to something that, you know, I hear a lot from a lot of clients, which I I think you'll find interesting is that often they say when I ask them about prior therapy, they say, well, listen, I had this really fantastic therapist. Uh, they really listened to me. Uh, they they were warm and kind, and I felt like they really got me. But at times, I didn't know what the hell to do with everything that they heard. In fact, they didn't give me a lot of feedback. So then I went to this other therapist, and they were really great. They told me exactly what to do. But sometimes it felt like they weren't even listening or didn't even care about other parts of my life. And yet, I think the best, most effective most integrated therapists do both. They listen tremendously closely and deeply, allow space for you to find ways to bring different sides of yourself to the table. And yet they also will say, ooh, I can see something here. Let me help you with that little dynamic. Do you notice? Mm -hmm. And when you start to feel proud of yourself, you start to undo it and you start to guilt yourself or shame yourself just like you did in your family when you had to because of your brother who was a drug addict, right? Whatever it is. And so there's ways in which, you know, zeroing in on something, which is a sort of fixing, but when it's done with the right timing and combination of really listening, somebody feels feels really seen. And then they start to play with it and say, ah, you know, actually that makes me think of something else. Right. And so it's this constant kind of back and forth integration of really being present, but then also making something out of it. Mm.
1: That's, so, right. that, that's so fascinating that you say that because I, um, I often think, you know, I've definitely had different therapists over the years and they have different styles and you have to find what works for you. And, and I remember thinking once with a therapist, he doesn't know anything about me except for what I've told him. So he's got this <laughs> perception, right, of me mm-hmm. in my life from my mouth. Yep. So if that's not matching up with my reality, I'm like, okay, well, where did that come from then? What did I say? And, and is that the truth? Do I feel like what he's reflecting back to me? Is that the truth, you know? And and yeah. I, I don't know. It's an interesting one. I, I remember going to a therapist when I was younger and I thought she was great. And then I went to another therapist for some reason and she was so much better and I didn't realize that the first one wasn't as good as I thought until I went to the second one. And I was like, holy cow, this is like, you what know, a world!" Yeah, it t- totally opened up a whole new world because what she was doing was she wasn't telling me what to do. What she was doing was she was reflecting back what I was saying in a particular way that helped me see things in my own story that I wasn't seeing before. Yeah. But she didn't tell me what to do. know,
0: it's very subtle and, but, and sometimes it's not so subtle, but, but what's good is if you have that kind of relationship, like you said, it's sort of like the best of what you said about your friends, right? We do want our friends to kind of tell us honestly, right? Like, tell me, how how does this really make me look right? Like Mm. want to know. But we also don't want to be told in a way that's going to make us feel really crummy about ourselves. And I think a good therapist will try and really listen and also find a really smart, nuanced way to help you take it in and also see what you think and what you can do with it. But you're right. It's it's often that we think, oh, I either need to go to the fix it, you know, and that's the thing, or I got to go to the listener. And it's a shame because like I said, some of our best, some of our the best people, like our best friends who really are the best at helping us are the ones who both listen and really are like, they really come up with some pearls of like wisdom, but they do it in such a way that we're like, they still respect me. They still know me.
1: Mm. Yeah. And they're not putting words in my mouth. They're not. They're not putting words in my mouth. Yeah. And the, the other thing as well, I noticed as well, is that, you know, we all change, like Talia 20 years ago is very different to the Talia now. And I think sometimes what hap- can happen with friends and family is we hold on to that yeah. version that we used to be and we're like, well, you're not that person. And it's like, well, but I am now. I'm really different to who I was before. So sometimes you've can't. You you got to, I've noticed, you've got to let yourself grow and you've also mm-hmm. got to let your friends grow and take them as they are now. And, and sometimes that's, you know, easier said than done. <laughs>
0: it's, it's often easier said than done. That's why I think, um, you know, therapy is so interesting because you, you, you get more accustomed to having some faith that, you know, a lot, but you're also going to be discovering something new together. And that's where therapy as in life becomes more creative, you know, because creative insights come when we're like, Oh my gosh, I just put that together. But it allows sort of like temporarily, like when we read a great novel, we temporarily suspend disbelief to allow ourselves to start to imagine things. And why don't we give that ourselves that openness, too? And why don't we also give our friends that and, you know, our significant others and our family members that, too? And you're right. We are such dynamic creatures. That's what makes us so fascinating. But that's also what's so frustrating about us. Because we can't always figure out where we are. So there's a famous American poet named Walt Whitman. And he said, um, he said, do I contradict myself? Very well then. I am large. I contain multitudes. We all contain so many different facets. And so when you're talking to one person, you're talking to 10, 15, 20 different sub-selves. And we, we, we really need to learn how to cultivate kind of figuring out how to work with those sides. And also be able to notice when the sides change.
1: That's what I love about my therapist now is that he only knows this version of me now. He doesn't know me the version of later, and so I can sit in that and and in the small amounts of change and, and reflect on the things that he says. And it's still sometimes frustrating, right? When you're like, "Ah, is that me?" Yeah,
0: but <laughs> believe it or not, I, I want to let you in on a little secret here. Us therapists also we are revisiting and even connecting to all the sides of ourselves in you and even the sides of us in the past all the time. And we are not so hopefully many of us are not judgmental about those sides, even the sides that struggle or that, you know, had shame about this. I think the more that we actually work in this, in this profession, it's like a great actor. See, great actors don't see dimensions as a problem. They see it as a wonderful thing. And I think some of the best, most effective therapists also are like, wow, you're really helping me see the Shakespearean beauty of what it is to be human. And we're sharing that together.
1: It it is an incredible experience. I definitely am into that experience. I often think, I often look at my therapist and think, how are you able to pay attention For this amount of time, I remember the first time I went to therapy, I blurted out so much in that one hour and I was literally said to him at the end, I don't know how you got all that. There's no way I would retain all that. Like there was so much and he was really looking at me and listening. So I knew he was listening and yeah, I I was exhausted talking about it. So I don't know how he felt listening to it all. (laughs) <laughs> but, it's,
0: it's, it's exactly how I feel. So I work at Manhattan School of Music, and it's exactly how I feel when I watch a student perform a piece from memory. I'm like, how do these musicians memorize like 20, 30 minutes of music? And, and a big part of it, like you said, is that we let it come through us, but we we trust in something that that's carrying it, you know? And and also we listen for the main themes and mm-hmm. themes sort of repeat. And, and also the other thing too, is that there's just some interesting way that with a lot of practice, it happens. Like I was always amazed that my mom would remember these stories of her, of her patients. And I was like, she never, she never took notes. I'm like, how how do you like, how do you like not get confused? And I'm like, but remember, it's also like, think about it. When you read a good novel, you don't forget
1: it. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about how do how can we tell, we touched on this before, but how can we tell if a therapist is the right fit for us because I have had a lot of friends and I'm, you know, my mother's such a huge advocate of therapy. When I was younger, if I had a problem, she'd be like, go and talk to a therapist about it. <laughs> that was yeah. what, what she'd say. And, and I say that to a lot of people and then they go, well, I tried that and it didn't work. I tried that and it didn't work. And I was like, well, I feel like you haven't found the right fit yet. And it is exhausting finding that right fit. So it it, is. how do we yeah. know? And, and, you know,
0: it's a lot like dating. In fact, it's it's a very strange thing because especially since it's something so intimate, right. And something so personal, you're talking to a a relative stranger about everything. Right. So I I think first and foremost, it's important to really trust your intuition and instinct because a lot of it is the feel when I'm with this person, do I feel that I get curious about different sides and do I feel like they're open and interested in, in going there? And do I also sense that maybe they've been able to go there themselves? We might, we might not always know, but you can sort of feel it out. Right. And, and exactly what I said before too, it's, it's really helpful to see if you also feel that somebody can actually take some of the things. And you know how, like when you said you were talking a lot, you're like, how do you remember that? Yeah. (laughs) Because the other reason is because as a, as a person is listening, they're also putting the pieces together. And instead of just thinking them as little bits, they're chunking them and saying, ah, I see this. And a good therapist will also, will also register that. And, and like you said, bring it back. So this listening is, is a wonderful thing. And you know what? Empathy is a really interesting thing too. Empathy is being able to really be in the shoes of another and the, and the, and the heart of another. But also there's a way that the other person is able to really feel the full emotion and help put it into form so that we can feel it again in another way. So that means if I have a therapist who really can't deal with too much anger or sadness, then I can't really be able to dwell in my sadness or anger. So we want to see also what the range of our therapist is, our potential therapist, right?
1: Mm, That's a, that's a really good point.
0: You know, what's another good criteria for, for a therapist that's good, I think is is how, how playful are they? How, how are they able to talk very seriously and deeply, but also playfully? And sometimes they might even be able to talk about something deep and difficult in a playful way, not, not in a funny, you know, I'm not taking this seriously way, but in a way of like, I really see you. Mm. That's a really, that's a really good, you know, indicator.
1: Yeah. I think that's a really, that is a really good one. I really see you and you feel I think also for me, that's what thats really what is the kind of uh, clincher in um, romantic relationships too. I feel very seen. You know, they know me. They don't have to like me all the time. We can still get upset with each other, but they they really see me and they really know me. Um, I think it comes back to you before when we were talking about, you know, going to therapy and us going in with the problem thinking that we're going to be fixed, right?
0: We approach
1: it. And I've found that with a lot of friends, and I've asked them, "Oh, how's the therapy going?" And they're like, "Well, it's not working." That's the response they say. Well, it's <laughs> not, not working.
0: working. Yeah.
1: You know, and I and I am like, "Huh, okay." So, what what kind of are you looking for to be fixed? I mean, I don't ask them that because that's a whole other yeah. conversation. But that's what I'm thinking in my mind is, "Well, how do we know when we're fixed? Like, it's not about being fixed, right? It's just about seeing the situation in a different way." Because I don't know if there is any fixing. Is there? <laughs>
0: You know, I think, I think there's tweaking and I think there's refining and I think it's an interesting combination. You know, we talk a lot in, in academics, they talk a lot about the nature and nurture kind of combination. How much of us is our nature, like sort of what's in us and how much is our sort of environment? And I think good therapy helps you discover the combination of both. What's your actual nature? Are you an extrovert? Are you an introvert? Are you somebody who has this personality style versus that? Those things are really important. And then the other thing is, what's your nurture? What has been your environment? What are your family like? What was it like growing up in this situation? How did this affect you in positive ways? How does this affect you in negative ways? And being able to see yourself almost like, you know how like we know our phones very well and we like understand how they work? I like to think of therapy as, understanding how we work from the inside out. Right. And being curious about how we're built, like we're all built in, you know, we all have something that's in common, all the human feeling and thought is in common, but our specific specifications, so to speak, are a little bit different. And then also looking at how that's impacted by what our experiences are. And so I think really therapy is not just about fixing, it's also really getting to know more deeply who I am. Right, where I've come from, where I would like to go, and how to do that by understanding how I work. And not just how I work, by the way, how we work.
1: Mm.
0: Because a lot of people get down on themselves or confused or upset because, wait a minute, I should be this one person who's fully formed and perfect and airbrushed for everybody. And yet, none of us come away from this unscathed without challenges or struggles or pains, right. Or complexes or whatever you want to call them. Mm. But the point isn't to try and solve that or take that away. The the point is to go deeper into that and say, ah, how very human. And uh, there's a wonderful poem that riffs on an old jazz song, which is called you are too beautiful. And the poet talks about how foolishly beautiful we all are. And I think what what we want to get out of is to notice how foolishly beautiful and how very poignant and lovely that is, right? That's something that I think is better than fixing, right? And by the way, there's another point that I want to kind of share with your listeners too, is that there's an important balancing act that I think we always should be doing between self-acceptance which is sort of loving ourselves unconditionally and self-improvement. But if we just have self-improvement without self-acceptance, it's almost like shadow criticism. Like you're not okay unless you do this, mm. which is a form of conditional love. But then if we just accept ourselves and say, I don't really need to grow, we are not really actualizing ourselves and we don't give ourselves the opportunity to be more creative in our relationships, and our work, in our personal lives. So we we sort of want to be anchored in the fact of being seen and being loved in all of our glory and all of our gory stuff <laughs> too. Right. And yet at the same time, we also want to be supported and encouraged to do more than we thought we could do the day before.
1: I love that. I, I'm hearing um, a lot of in the things you're saying today in this interview. You, you, creative keeps coming up creative. Let's talk a little bit about that. I know you work at the Manhattan School of Music. Um, so you're working with musicians, which is amazing because yeah. I'm also a musician and I I mean, obviously not at their level, I don't think. Neither am I. <laughs> but I, um, you know, I'm really interested in, I guess, the psychology around music because when I was performing on stage, it was incredibly nerve wracking. And also, like you said before about remembering music and so remembering what you have to do and not freezing up. But then yeah. also this theme of creativity has come up. So let's talk about the role of kind of psychology and uh, therapy in, in enhancing our creativity and how it may relate to people who are not musicians as well.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I think it's funny because we tend to think of creativity as artistic creativity. You're a musician, you're a painter, you're an actor. And yet we forget about personal creativity And personal creativity is the capacity that we all have to be able to make new forms out of old forms, to vary forms and to keep on striving to figure out how do we make sense of this dynamic stuff that we're made of. And it's funny, working at Manhattan School of Music, I was surprised that even artists don't see themselves as being personally creative. They could be like playing at Carnegie Hall And they don't see themselves as creative on a personal level. And I think that's um, sort of a problem with the way we view mental health. And I think we need to enlarge how we view mental health. And that's what I mean. It's beyond problems. It's about learning how we can be more integrated and creative. And then non-artists think, I'm not creative. I'm not a painter. I'm not an actor. And what they don't realize is that that's not the only aspect of creativity, and that this personal creativity can help us in every sphere, whether it's business, whether it's, you know, in something that's not a traditional artistic venture. But I think there's something really important about creativity, because creativity is when we feel most alive. And creativity is also when we make contact. The reason that great art speaks to us is because it makes contact from across the centuries, from across cultures, and from one person to another speaking deep into the soul.
1: I love that. Wow. That is
0: (laughs) is so great. Thank you so much.
1: All right. I want to to also talk about um, therapy and trust. How are these two things connected?
0: you can't have one without the other ironically because you know the more that we can feel safe and the more that we feel that someone is really there and present and are reliable the more we can open up and the more we can venture out with being curious about the unexplored territories of the psyche so you know this is a weird metaphor but if you're on a rock climbing wall you, you want to have somebody down there holding you and making sure, and that allows you to climb higher and, and be able to see how much more you can do. So trust is everything. And the other thing that you're looking for is that the person feels integrated themselves, that they have a certain sense of trust in their own center and feel like they are sharing with you of them. Because most people think, oh, therapists are just like these experts which in some ways we can be. But the other thing is we're also doing the same thing that everybody else is doing. And, and even though we're experts, we're also trying to be able to connect more fully. And the more we can be honest about that with ourselves, the more we can share it. You know, I think some of the best actors, by the way, like Meryl Streep, for example, or um, Denzel Washington, or, or any of the Viola Davis, any of these great actors, actresses i think one of the reasons that they they have so much impact is because they're pulling from a real place they're not just playing a part and i think the best therapists come from themselves because we actually want to help the other person become more real themselves and we want them to find their true voice and we need to show them how we share our true voice and how together we can find something new and creativity often Is best as a collaboration. That's
1: true. That is that is true. I feel like this is a this is a conversation that can definitely keep going, (laughs) but we do have to wrap up soon. So um, before we wrap up, um, how can therapists? I have this question. How can therapists help us learn how to become better improvisers in our life? We've talked about creativity, but let's talk about improvisation and. Uh, especially as well, because you work with musicians.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, in, in jazz, it's called reading the changes, which is as different chords are shifting, can you play different lines over them? And what we don't realize is that our emotions and our thoughts are changing all the time, like a big piece of music. And so what I think therapy helps us do is to recognize, wait, which song am I playing now? And what changes are going in me? like I said, that could be the different kind of feeling states. And, you know, one day you wake up and you feel like you're playing one tune, you're in one mood and maybe during one part of the day, you're feeling happy and and excited. And then there you're feeling really sad and something else. And it's helpful to understand like, how can we listen for those changes and figure out how to make something beautiful out of it? A jazz improviser doesn't say, Oh, I don't like these chords. I don't want to play this. They're like, Ooh, this can be interesting. And the other thing that a jazz improviser does that we need to do and a lot of the writers out there like Daniel Pink and Susan Kane and Brene Brown, they're all talking about the fact that we should sort of lean in and embrace our, the dissonances that some of these quote unquote negative emotions are actually quite lovely and they help us deepen. Mm-hmm. And so improvising allows us to know that. And the great thing about being an improviser as well is it seems like it's just spontaneous. Like, Oh my God, they just figured it out on the spot. No, not at all. They practiced and cultivated different options but then in the moment, they share it right now. That
1: is that is such a great metaphor for um, like uh, nonviolent language. You know, you practice nonviolent communication. So then when in the heat of the moment, when you're in a fight, when nasty things come out, yeah. you have practiced that behavior and that mode of com- communication. And then like you say, you improvise on the spot and it comes out.
0: Exactly. And so it allows you to be more fluid and it allows you also to be more responsive to what's happening right now with this person.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, this is amazing. Michael, thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate your time. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that?
0: Oh yeah. So you can check me out at my website, michaelalsi.com. I also have a cool blog on psychology today called live life creatively. And I riff on all these topics and more. And then if you're a therapist, I have a book coming out therapeutic improvisation. So it's all about this and helping therapists learn how to do this and how they can help their clients do this.
1: Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much. And for everyone listening, you can find all the links mentioned in this episode at rebellove.com forward slash EP57. Michael, thank you again so much. I really appreciate you being with us today.
0: Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to the Rebel Love Podcast, the podcast about love, sex, and relationships. If you like this episode, please support us by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform and find all the details of this episode and more at rebellove.com forward slash podcast.